Leaving comfort is rough, but God was so enamored with us that he left the comfort of heaven. That's pretty local. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. So God himself took on a fragile body. God of the universe got the flu and the common cold. He sweated and he bled. He took on haters. He was jumped by soldiers. People spat on him and ultimately murdered him. And in that weak, breakable body, Jesus sat with the contagious and the hurting. He listened, he healed them, he encouraged them, he taught them. And that's where he found us, in the sketchy places you wouldn't take tu familia. And rather than call us hopeless, Jesus pulled us out the gutter, placed hands on the addicted, shady, and diseased people. He looked us in the eyes and called us beloved children. This is the incarnation, God incarnate. God in the meat, God on the block, God on the street. And these are the stories of the people he met. Good morning, guys. Good to be with you today. Um, excited to worship with you. Excited for what God has in store for us. Uh, God's going to say something to us through his word, and uh, I believe that no matter what I say, his word can bless you. So if, the, if you think that the pastor up here is a turkey, listen to, to the word of God and know that that is the word of God, and so that's, that's special. So um, I'm just going to give you a little recap. Uh, we're, we're basically in what's called now like Holy Week, the beginning of Holy Week now. It starts with Palm Sunday. Now, we celebrated Palm Sunday um, a few weeks ago when Ed preached for us. Um, but we've been kind of moving towards the resurrection, which is on Easter, when Jesus comes back full steam, new body, after uh, giving his life for the church, after giving his life for me and you. So we know that one, Jesus comes into the city triumphantly. Everybody's like, yeah, Jesus, you rock. They're throwing down palm fronds. They're putting their jackets. Jesus, he's the new king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, when he's in town, he gives communion to his students, his uh, disciples. They they. They go through that. If you don't know what that is, we'll get to that later. Um, then Jesus meets with the high priest after he's arrested and the governor, and he's sentenced to death. And he's sentenced to death um, because uh, uh, it's the death that we deserve. So they let go a guy named Barabbas, who that means just the son of the father, right? So he's been let go for us, and uh, here Jesus is on his way to the cross. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the cross. And uh, a lot of times in churches, they'll save that for Good Friday. Um, which we will be celebrating-ish, you know, celebrating the cross. And um, that's great and all, but I, I kind of wanted to spend a little more time on the cross, you know? So if we're talking about the life of Jesus, we got to talk about the death of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. Uh, buenos dias, si necesita escuchar el sermón en español, tenemos dispositivos de traducción para usted al costado de la sala. Now today we're going to be in Luke 23, 32 through Sorry, my bad, it's Luke. I probably sent the wrong thing off. It's in Luke 23, 32 through 43. Some people were confused when you looked that up, huh? Luke. Oh, I just heard like, it's like, you cannot change that. <laughs> um, so we have Bibles available in the back. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have an app you want to read, that's cool. The reason why we encourage you to open up a Bible is because um, pastor might make something up. And so you want to see, hey, the word of God, is it real? So... Um, I hope that pastor doesn't make something up, but uh, it's just one way to, to make me more trustworthy to you. 
So I'm going to read to you from Luke 23, 32 through 43. Look at that. Technology. All right, verse 32. Here we go. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Now just quickly, friends, the prophecy from Isaiah 53 said that he would... He, he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. So when he's crucified between uh, two criminals, this is actually uh, a prophecy fulfilled. Um, continuing on verse 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, hey, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you are reading in your Bible, you'll notice that I cannot help but add A and yo sometimes. Sorry about that. Um, an inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Hey, save, <laughs> sorry. save yourself and us. Save yourself and us. I don't know why. But the other answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God? Since you are undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Friends, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the continual sacrifices you've made to be in relationship with us, the things that you overlook to be in relationship with us. I mean, you are the maker of celestial bodies, the vast Andes Mountains, the thundering Victoria Falls, the great Nile and Amazon rivers, and you, God, created these things, and yet your eye is on us. Us? How massive is your heart and how honored we feel that you would have concern over us. God, would you free us today from try-hard religion? Would you free us from arrogance and ignorance? Would you free us from our sin and bondage? God, we need you every moment. We need your hope this morning. We love you. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today I have three powerful statements from Jesus' work on the cross. Three powerful statements from Jesus' work on the cross. I forgot to send him the little uh, apostrophe thing because it's Jesus' work on the cross. So that's my bad too. Don't get mad at him. Our first point today is if Jesus was mocked, you will be too. If Jesus was mocked, you will be too. In verse 35, the people stood watching. Even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others, let him save himself. If this is God's Messiah, the chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, if you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. And that inscription was sarcastic. Come on. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. So the translation for this is, if you are really so great, if God is so great, why are we suffering? Why are you suffering? Now, we, we need some background on this. 
It was intentional that Jesus was, was killed amongst the criminals. You know what's so amazing about this? Anytime tr- someone tries to do something to hurt Christians, to hurt Jesus, to hurt the cause, they often end up fulfilling prophecy. It's beautiful. I mean, the fact is, in the Middle East right now, they are beheading people, and they don't realize that in the book of Revelation, those who are beheaded will call out to God, and he will redeem them. He, he will um, avenge them. And so it's so interesting that, once again, these people are trying to embarrass Jesus. Oh, let's put him between two criminals. And yet, they're fulfilling that prophecy we talked about in Isaiah 53. So notice, um, they were meant to degrade him and to debase him, and yet they honored him. And it's really interesting, too, because many of the people there in the crowd who are saying, what's your deal, bro? Those are the people who, had the, who threw their jackets at his feet. Those are the people he fed earlier. He, he multiplied food so they could eat, and they're throwing palm fronds. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for saving us. When they see that he's not going to save them the way they want, they jeer at him. They scoff at him. They make fun of him. They laugh at him. They don't stand up for him. This is what's happening right now. He went from a parade very quickly to the cross. And when he was on the cross, almost everybody ditched him. And let's just be clear. The only people who really stood there were the ladies. The ladies stood up with him. That was about it. Now, um, perhaps James' brother, uh, Jesus' brother. Now, um, the thing is, is that Jesus took the hard way, but it was the good way. And there will be many times that we have the temptation to take the easy way because the easy way means we're not going to be mocked. The easy way means we don't have to go through the hard stuff. But let me tell you this, though. Following Jesus is not going to feel like the easy way. I'm just telling you now, in many cases, in many ways, it's not going to feel like the easy way. Sometimes everything else feels like the easier way. And so you you take the hard road, and then what happens when you take the hard road? People mock you. And how do I know this? Because I've been mocked, not just for the way I dress, but for the way... (laughs) I talk, but also because I follow Jesus. And if Jesus was mocked, you will also be mocked. So in verse 39, it says, then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and me. Save yourself and us. It's funny the way in the moment we are mocked. It's funny the way in the moment Jesus is mocked, but ultimately we know that God has purposes that aren't often just for that moment, are they? So one of my favorite cities in the world is a, is a city called Firenze, uh, also known as Florence. Um, Florence is gorgeous. Um, if you ever get the chance to go to Italy and you want to go to Rome, that's great. But Florence, man, the art, the beauty, the architecture of Florence is just one of the most gorgeous places I've ever been. And while there is great history in Rome, uh, I, I will not deny that, I love Florence even more. Um, I told that to a guy from Rome once, and he, he was surfing with me, and he said, hey, which car is yours so I could bash it in? Rome forever. Um, he was joking. He was a super nice Italian guy. Um, but in Florence, there is a, um, a cool-looking basilica called Santa Croce. And outside kind of looks like, if you've ever been to Disneyland, it looks like it's a small world. Um, that's basically kind of what it looks like. It's a beautiful work of art, and it's actually the largest Franciscan church building in the world. The inside is even more fascinating. It has indented graves, which is really interesting. So um, they'll actually have a grave inside the whole basilica where they like go in like the shape of the body that goes in. It's almost like a sculpture. And what happens is you'll just be walking, you'll be looking at something, and it'll kind of trip on 
the shape of someone's body, which is it's weird, right? That's weird. Um, now, why do I say that? Uh, well, I'll get back to that. But really, okay, there is a body there that's a kind of an important one, um, I think. Uh, his name is Galileo. Uh, you may have heard of him. He's not a ninja turtle, but he's very famous. Now, who's Galileo? Galileo, in 1610, he published a work called Sideris Nuncius, which means starry messenger. I swear I'm going somewhere with this, friends. It's basically a scientific observation that he made with his new telescope. Now, this led him to posit that the Earth actually was a satellite of the sun and not the other way around. Not the other way around. So in 1616, the Catholic Church, um, uh, this was the only church at the time, so we can't be like, oh, them Catholics, that's us. I mean, it's just the only Christians. In 1616, we have the Catholic Church. That was the main church in the moment. Um, uh, decided that this idea was a heresy. This was heresy. So even though the Bible doesn't say anything about this in the way that they're, they're uh, including it, they said, no, this is heresy. He was banned from speaking of it again. Now, I just want to say, talking about science with Jordan here just drives me crazy because I know that I'm getting my scientific things wrong. But it's a basic, this is the Wikipedia version, okay? When you want the deeper version, go ask Jordan where I'm incorrect. So here's what happened. Um, he was banned from speaking of it ever again. Now, over time, Galileo studied the tide's effects um, from the rotation of the earth and once again came to the conclusion the earth circles the sun. <laughs> um, so he was tried in, like, we'll call it Catholic court. It's kind of like the people's court, but instead of Judge Wapner, you have the pope or like a cardinal or something, okay? And the, the, the pope or the cardinal, they ordered him to be on indefinite imprisonment for the rest of his life. He died under house arrest in 1642. So Galileo was like, hey, the earth goes around the sun. And they're like, yo, that's terrible. You need to go to prison for the rest of your life. That's what happened, okay? Yeah. So in the moment, Galileo was right. We know he was right. But in the moment, he was mocked, he was judged, and he was ultimately imprisoned. So now where does his body lie, though? In a famous Catholic cathedral alongside Machiavelli, Michelangelo, Dante, Rossini, and other heroes of the church. That is where he lies now. He was right at the time, and in his lifetime, uh, because he believed in what we would call like Copernican theory, once again, I'm like feeling judged by Jordan because I'm probably getting this wrong, but uh, because he believed in that, he was mocked and he died being judged and laughed at. But we know he's, he's right. So the haters around Jesus in the same way, they thought he was silly. And let me just say this. You know what else? Um, they think you are silly. They think you're silly for being here. They think you're silly for waking up early. They think you are silly for worshiping God. Our faith looks silly to many, but I tell you one day we will be proven right. In the same way that one day Galileo was proven right. And I'll tell you, in some ways the church kind of held on to this for a long time where like John Paul II was even like, Ah, Galileo was pretty, pretty probably right, maybe. <laughs> it's like, what, dude? That was like in my lifetime. Um, we have like satellites and spaceships, but that being said, he was ultimately proven right. And in the same way, we know that Jesus was, and we know that Jesus will be, and we know that you will be if you follow Jesus, but we can tell you now, you're gonna be mocked for it. Now, Romans 14, 11, Romans 14, 11 says this. For it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. Okay, so something interesting about that. It says every knee. It doesn't say every knee who follows Jesus, does it? 
It says every dang knee. So, so what does that mean? That means one day when Christ returns in glory for victory, every dang knee will bow, whether they believed him on this earth or not. So be prepared. To follow Jesus is to be mocked. That doesn't mean that you won't eventually be known as a truth believer. It just means you're going to be mocked now. You believe a dude is going to come from the sky on a, on a white horse with a sword in his mouth. If I was not a Christian, I would laugh at you too. We believe something crazy. And yet, it's true. And yet it's true. God doesn't follow the laws of physics. God doesn't care what your friends think about you in the same way. He breaks natural laws. That's what he does. We call those things miracles. And when they happen, people won't believe it. People won't believe it. If you follow Jesus, God has done a miracle in your life already. We have stories in here of people who are going one way, they found Jesus, and they went the other. And I can tell you that I'm one of them. I was headed towards a path of destruction and it was when God found me that he worked a miracle in my life. Based on the people around me, based on what was going on in my life, I was going towards destruction and God did a miracle. So friends, people will mock you in the moment. So what do we do when we or others are mocked? Well, sometimes like Jesus, we must speak up, right? But other times we follow Jesus' example on the cross. And this is our second point. It was that Jesus was silent before ignorance, but his forgiving work was not passive. Jesus was silent before ignorance, but his forgiving work was not passive. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm telling you, you always have to be silent. But I'm saying we can look up to Jesus and what he did here and see inspiration, okay? In verse 34, it says this, Then Jesus said, Father, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. So the cost of our sin was the death of Jesus. The cost of our selfishness was the death of the Messiah. The cost of our ignorance was the death of Christ. But Jesus was willing to pay the price for our ignorance. Now, it's interesting that we see that they cast lots for his clothing again. Um, so this was like they played craps for his clothing, if that helps you. Um, I don't know, maybe not played craps. They did the Ouija board for his clothing. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you could say, but ultimately, this fulfills prophecy once again, friends. Psalm 22, 18. Psalm 22, 18 says this. They divided my garments amongst themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. So Jesus had this big, beautiful um, cloak, and they said, hey, if we tear that up, it's, it's going to be worthless. So let's roll some dice and figure out who should get it. And once again, the very people who were trying to hurt Jesus, who were stealing from Jesus, were glorifying him. They were glorifying him because they were bringing to light a prophecy about him that was hundreds of years old. And they were showing, once again, that Jesus is a miracle. So Jesus was persecuted. He was spat upon. He was beaten. He was ultimately killed. And he had the heart of forgiveness. Matter of fact, he was dying for the people who were presently mistreating him. Now, Indian pastor Takamanjen Io, he says this. He says, the savior of humanity was forgiving and loving even to his enemies. His love has no limits. What about yours? Can we dare to live like he did? But can we dare, friends, in the face of jerks? Can we dare in the face of, you know, them mocking us? That's when we look to our savior. And so the question is, how do we respond to ignorance? How do we respond to hate? How do we respond to anger? 
Not with passivity, but not always with words. So tomorrow, all across Major League Baseball, you will hear about someone. You'll hear about something called Jackie Robinson Day. The fun thing is I had already decided that I was going to use Jackie Robinson to talk today, and I had no idea that tomorrow was Jackie Robinson Day until I decided I should Google him, and then everything came up. Um, So tomorrow is Jackie Robinson Day. And uh, what that means is every player in baseball is going to wear the same dang number. The same number in honor of a man who fought hard but did not fight back. Now listen, he fought hard but he did not fight back. April 15th, 1947, 71 years ago tomorrow, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in professional baseball. It's interesting, even January is is his 100th birthday that we celebrate. Here's what Jackie Robinson said. I remember Mr. Ricky, the owner of the Dodgers, saying to me that I couldn't fight back, and I wondered whether or not I was going to be able to do this. Now, years later, an African-American writer named Claire Smith was inspired by Jackie Robinson in her mom's entrancing stories. She was energized by them. His stories gave her the motivation she needed. And she said this about number 42. She said, it is at heart the story of a man who at his best and bravest showed us all how to be strong enough not to fight back, but rather to fight on and on and on. Now, this was not in action, friends. It was not in action. Jackie was doing something profound. In the same way, Jesus may have been silent before his tormentors, but he was doing something intense, something world-changing, and it was not in action. He was bearing the burden of the sins of the world and receiving the wrath that we deserved. Now, not not responding to ignorant results does not mean we just hide, though, does it? If we look at Jesus' examples, we don't always fight back with words, but we do what it takes to erase hate. We do what it takes to fight back against hate, unjust systems, and persecution. Proverbs 29.9 says this, If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. And so we are left to wonder, are there times when we argue with our words that we have to argue with our actions better? Are there times that perhaps the way we love someone represents Christ more than the way we tell someone they're wrong? So where in your life can you fight back without arguing? What if you took the two hours you spent on social media arguing with someone about social injustice and instead attended a city council meeting and advocated for the poor? Okay, there's also a time for protesting educational disparity. And there's another time for finding a child in your community and teaching him or her how to read or buying him school supplies for the year. This week, I get to be on a panel for our next principal for this school. And I think the reason that I get to be on that panel is because I was serving here. That's not to make me look great because you guys know that I don't always look great when I do that. Um, When that guy tried to hit me with his car in the parking lot, that was good. Um, But this summer, you, our church, you get to fight against educational disparity because you will be providing 100 backpacks um, to the students at the school. We already have them. Our church will give them out. What a blessing, huh? There's a time for speaking out against abortion, but we can take that time to help a young mom get back on her feet to get the health care she needs, to help her get the assistance she needs. Friends, you've done this. Keep doing it. So people mock Jesus. 
they tease Jesus, and he doesn't respond. And I know for me, like in some ways, I want comic book Jesus to punch them in the face or the throat, which sounds even better, right? Like pow, right? And yet, his power is in his action on the cross in the moment. But it's so hard for us to see that, right? It's so hard for us to see that as action. Like he's laying back. But Isaiah 53, 7, Isaiah 53, 7 says this. It says, this is once again, this is a, um, a prophecy about Jesus about 700 years before his birth. It says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. But then Jesus does respond to someone. Not to the haters, but to the needy. And that's our third point. It is never too late to surrender to Jesus, but there's no better time than now. It's never too late to surrender to Jesus, but there is no better time than now. You've probably heard this Chinese proverb, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time, now. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. But this whole surrender thing, man, that's kind of tough language, right? Like, maybe you're on the fence about this Jesus dude, and then you're being told to surrender, and I just tell you, surrender is not always a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing. And I know for some of us, we feel God pushing on our hearts and driving us to something because he loves us and he wants better for us. Surrender is not a bad thing. If you're on the fence about this Jesus dude, don't wait too long, friends. And I want you to know, he's not mad at you, He adores you. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He's not mad at you. Verse 41, the thief says this, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This man understands his debt. This man understands his need for salvation, for a savior. This man understands uh, that he has a debt to Rome and even to Jesus. Now some people, I just got to give you a little history. Some people have made up stories about this dude. They call him Demas. They, They have a name for him. Demas, the other guy on the cross. Oh, we know all about him. Some people said that Demas, uh, when, when Jesus was a refugee fleeing to Egypt, they said that Demas helped him. He was a robber, and he saw Jesus, and he's like, oh, this kid's special. I'm going to let him go. There's like nothing in the Bible about that, and there's really no historical evidence that that happened. Another uh, idea is that Demas here was a dude who was like, they said, the Persian Robin Hood. He would steal from the rich, and he would give to the poor. These made-up stories may sound nice, but here, let me tell you something. I think they take away from what's truly happening here. Demas is a brigand. Demas is a bad dude. Demas deserves hell. He's not a good dude. Jesus is not like, oh, well, because you're so good, I'm going to totally accept you. No, Demas has said, I'm messed up. I deserve what I'm getting. This is, this is my inheritance. But would you, would you still... Would you still help me, Jesus? So, so let's, not, let's not get this wrong here. He's not the Persian Robin Hood, which sounds awesome, but it's a myth. Jesus didn't save this man because he was good. Jesus didn't save this man because he was good. Because Jesus doesn't save you because you are good. If you tell me 
that you're a good person, if you tell me that you're a good person, you're not comparing yourself with Jesus. Jesus doesn't save you because you are good. Jesus saves you because he is good. Jesus doesn't save you because you are good. Jesus saves you because he is good. They deserve to be there. They deserve death. You know who doesn't? Jesus. Friends, I want to caution you not to turn this into a story where you are the hero, where you deserve Jesus, where, you know what, I'm just a good person now, and so Jesus is going to save me. Uh Uh-uh. You're still bad. You're still messed up. Your pastor is too. We need a savior. I'm not saying that we should spend our entire lives, woe is me, I suck at everything, I always sin against God, but how about this instead? Your sin drives you to Jesus, and instead of focusing on, I stink, I did it again, I messed up, God, thank you for your graciousness, help me to move forward with joy. Thank you that you love me even when I doubt you. God, even when I have doubted you, even when I have said your name in vain, you have loved me. What if we considered it that way? Don't turn this into a story where you are the hero. Don't turn this into a story where you are the good person. We have as much in common with the man who accepted Jesus as the one who denied him. We have as much in common with the the soldiers who crucified him. We're just like them, man. If we were there, we would have done that. We would have said, this guy is cray. We're going to take him down. He's messing with our lifestyle. Let's knock him down. And so... But this man decides he's going to surrender his life to Jesus. What little is left of his life is given to God. Now, uh, Howard Hagman, he says this. He says his tragedy, this is about the the thief who accepted Jesus. He says his tragedy is that his introduction to paradise comes so late. And his glory is that he found him in time. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, Jesus offers the man friendship in a word that is uh, paradesas, paradesas. Now, this paradesas is a, is a really interesting word, and it's loaded, and it's beautiful, and I think it's important to let you know kind of what, what people would have seen when they heard this word. Now, there was an idea of heaven when someone would say paradesas, um, but, but here's, here's the thing. The Persian kings were the ones that made this an important word, and, and the Persian kings were known to have a walled garden and it's usually owned by the king, right? So this beautiful walled garden. And it might have water running directly through it. It would have shady spots all over the place, a place where you could sit and read a, a scroll, I guess, not a book. It would have been peaceful, a, a nice slight wind. This is where the king would rest. This is where the king would, um, would spend time with one of his brides or his children. This was where the king would think about the decisions he had to make. This paradesas. Now, sometimes he would set up elaborate hunts within the walls of the Paradesas, and he would invite you in. Come, be a part of my hunt. I, I, I don't really like that. So, like, I'm, I, that wouldn't be awesome paradise for me, like killing stuff. But that was an honor. You would come, and you would be with the king, and you would be able to hunt things. And even better, if you were really bad, he had, like, snipers up top with arrows that would shoot, shoot your prey as well, just in case you were an awful hunter. But also... In this restful, shady, green, well-watered garden, sometimes the king would just invite you in as an honor to be with him. And it would be a great honor amongst the people that would know, wow, the king is inviting me into the paradesas. And so here Jesus says to this criminal who says, I know what I did. I'm not trying to pretend I was a good guy. And he says, yeah, well, today you're going to be invited in 
to the kingdom with me. Today you are going to be invited in to my walled garden. It's so green and beautiful. This is where you're coming in with me. You are welcome with me here. And the man would have known this was an honor. And I tell you today, to be invited inside is an honor. And everyone is invited inside. You are invited inside to the paradisos, to paradise by Jesus. And this is what the gospel is, that Jesus willingly left the perfection of heaven because he wanted you to join him. And he left upon the orders of his father. And he came to this earth and he took on everything that we take on. It says that he is a high priest who can, who can sympathize because he understands what we have gone through. He understands your struggles. He understands that people have hated you because people hated him. He understands what it means to submit to parents who are imperfect. He understands what it means to be murdered, abused, mistreated because he loved you. And he came to this earth and he lived a perfect life and sacrificed himself. And, and even though we deserved the wrath of God for the things we had done against God, he said, let me take this one. Let me take this one. And he took the entire wrath of God on the cross. A lot of times we think about the pain, the pain of the cross, and yet here's Jesus on the cross taking on the pain of wrath, the pain of, desert, of taking on what we deserve. That's not just physical pain, that's emotional. He's so connected with the Father and there was, there was a separation in that moment where he took on our sin and death and then he rose again and that's what we celebrate next Sunday, that he rose again to show that he had conquered sin and death. Your sin, your death, my sin, my death and he says, you can come to paradise with me. Now, I think it's, it's awfully good to, to talk about what this paradise looks like. And God gives us a picture in Revelation 22, this paradisos. Revelation 22, it says, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruits, avocados, no, it doesn't say that, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing of the nations. And there will be no longer any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the paradise, friends, that, that awaits the criminal on the cross, that awaits us that surrender our lives to Jesus. And then here is what happened next, friends, on the cross. From noon until three on the, uh, excuse me, Matthew 27, 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, this is verse 50, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook the rocks split. The tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tomb after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. 
when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. It's pretty quick for him at that point that we see some people turning around, the people that mocked him. The haters, the mockers, the scoffers realized Jesus was more than something special. He was God. And so even now, you have the opportunity. And I present a question before you. Is Jesus wacko or is he God? And if he's God, what does that mean for the rest of your life? Does that mean that he, he, he wants Sunday like he wants you to come on Sunday? I mean, may, maybe. But if he's Lord of everything, probably, probably Sunday's not enough. He wants your entire being and that doesn't mean you have to like be churchy church and Ed Flanders for the rest of your life, but it means you've got to ask God, what do you want from my life and how can I follow you and how can I serve you? If God isn't it, excuse me, and if, it, if he is God, isn't it time you decided to follow him for real? Do you have to get everything right before you come to him? Man, I'm not, I'm not going to say that that criminal had everything right when he asked Jesus for forgiveness. I'm pretty sure he had probably just done something bad right beforehand, and here he was. Jesus saved me. But friends, we talk about that, that idea that the right time to plant a tree is 20 years ago or now. I tell you, now is the time. Charles Robinson says this. He says, when you're 100% certain, you're too late. When you're 100% certain, it's too late. And so friends, I urge you, don't wait. Because one day, every knee will bow. Every knee. Whether they glorified him on this earth or whether they gave him the finger and said, I'm going to live the way I want to. One day, every knee will bow. But what would happen if we decided to follow him today? What if that tree began to flourish today? Do you think that might make a difference in our life as well? Like I know some people think that following God should be uh, insurance for death. Just hope I don't die quickly so I can just accept him at the end. And I tell you, you miss out. You're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on the joy. You will miss out on some mockings. But you're going to miss out on the joy of truly following Jesus and knowing what it means to have a good, good father in your life. Many of us don't know what it's like to, to see a good father. Many of us have never seen a good father. And I tell you, we have one who cares for us, who loves you, who would never abuse you, who would never forsake you, and who cares for you. Yay. Amen. So friends... What would happen if you decided to follow him today? Let us know. If you want to follow him today, let us know. We will pray for you. We will encourage you. We will annoy you because we want you to succeed. And you know what? Maybe, maybe you can talk with us and we'll baptize you on Friday. This next Friday, we're doing baptism. We have four people um, in our church being baptized. And you know what? There's a lot of room in that water. Why not be baptized even this week and tell the world you follow Jesus now? Now, that's not the end. The baptism is not the end. It's not like, okay, dip, all right, I'm good. I'm going to just live my life the way I want to. It's like you being dipped and saying, now I follow Jesus. You being dipped and saying, now my life is committed to following Jesus. It's not going to save you. Jesus saves you. There's nothing you could do to save you. Jesus saved you on the cross. So friends... What would happen if you allowed God to take hold of your whole life now? I promise you it will be hard. 
I promise you there will be haters. I promise you there will be mockers and scoffers. But I can also tell you, you'll not regret it. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, you're so good. You're so good when we, when we don't even get it right. You still love us. I don't get it. I, what, what, did you, what do you see in us that would make us special to you? What do you see in us that would make us worthy to receive your forgiveness? And yet, you call us to something. You call us to you. And you don't call us as, as like some, some, some wicked servant. You don't call us as some like enemy that you're come and you're going to destroy us. You call us as family into your house. We don't have to enter through the back door. We get to come in through the front like honored guests, as family, as your sons and daughters. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you receive us. Thank you you receive us when we don't deserve it, when we don't give you but a little tiny bit of our lives sometimes. And here you call us. God, help us to receive this call. And Lord, in this moment, we're just going to take a moment of silence to confess our sins to you in our hearts, knowing that when we drop them off with you, we do not have to pick them back up. So friends, in the silence of this moment, uh, give the Lord your confession. Father, thank you. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for setting this whole thing up, for having the whole thing rigged so that even when we denied you, even when we fell apart, even when we mistreated others, you were there. And you knew us, and you still were there. You knew our struggles, our sins. You know the sins we're going to commit. You still say you love us. You're not surprised by our sin. You're not surprised by our wickedness when we, when we think that we're better than you or we can decide our life, um, all the things in our life instead of you. You still look upon us and forgive us when we confess to you. And so God, thank you. Thank you. Well, we don't deserve to be clothed in white. That's a dark shade that we should be clothed in. And yet you look at us and you see the holiness of your son Jesus. As far as the east is from the west, so is our sin from your sight. I know you're all knowing. How can you pretend this? <laughs> I don't understand. But you say to us that we are forgiven. So Lord, help us to accept that. Help us to understand that our sin is not bigger than your forgiveness. And God, help us also to understand that you desire something better for us than to just go on sinning. Lord, bless and keep us this day. Encourage us this day to follow you. And Lord, when we walk out that door and the texts start happening and the phone calls and the anger and the, the temptation, God, we ask that you would be our shield, that you will protect us. Lord, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name.